Well, good evening, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study where we work together to understand the Scripture line upon line. So that's what we're going to be doing today as we continue now in uh, up to Isaiah chapter 19. God willing, we'll cover both chapters 19 and uh, 20 this evening. Let's, uh, as our custom is, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the study uh, for this evening. Our loving Father, we come before you again, ever so grateful to you, Father, that as we watch the world around us collapse into chaos uh, deliberately, uh, by design, uh, we thank you, Father, that we can search your scriptures and find solace and comfort there. That all of this is, uh, even though it's by design of the enemy, ultimately, Father, it's you're, the, you're allowing all of this to happen uh, so that you can further your plan. And we just thank you, God, that as we search the scriptures, we can understand your counsel, we can understand your plan, and we can have strong confidence and strong consolation as we walk into the future that you are with us, that we are aligned with your purpose. And we just thank you so much, Father, for Jesus Christ, who has brought us together and given us this, this living hope. We praise you, Father. We're also mindful of those among us who are in need of prayer. We're particularly, Father, mindful of our sister Lisa. We are praying, God, for your continued mercy. We do thank you for the, the, the signs of encouragement that we're getting and the, the slow progress. Even though it's slow, it's still progress. And we thank you for this, Father, and pray that you'll continue uh, blessing her with recovery and blessing her husband, our, our Pastor Murray, uh, with, with this type of an encouragement, Father. We're also mindful of our sister Mary, very invasive surgery, life-saving surgery. We thank you for it. And we're praying, God, that you will be merciful and give her a recovery, Father, full recovery. And finally, Father, we're mindful of our sister Margaret. We thank you for her. We thank you for her her unceasing dedication to you and to your people, to Christ. And we pray for your blessing on her and her healing as well. Thank you, Lord. Uh, thank you again for the, the light that your word provides to us. And we pray, Father, that we will govern ourselves accordingly. We praise you. We ask your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are up to Isaiah chapter 19. Let's jump right in to make the best use of our time together. Isaiah 19, um, we, we decided, I decided last week not to cover it because it kind of it, it enters into a new uh, category of uh, prophecy specifically for Egypt. And we're going to see the significance of Egypt in the end time. This is, this is end time prophecy. So we need to be watching the Middle East. And we need to be watching Egypt. Uh, it, uh, these nations are called out with respect or in juxtaposition to Jerusalem. So the focus of our attention must be Jerusalem. Our heart's desire must be Jerusalem. When we're talking together, we should be talking about Jerusalem because that's where God's focus is and that's where God's zeal is. And the Holy Spirit within us will, will give us the same zeal and enthusiasm uh, that God has. So here we see this prophecy now, the burden of Egypt. This is an oracle. This is a vision that Isaiah received specifically about Mizraim, Egypt. Behold, the Lord, Jehovah, rides upon a swift cloud and shall come into Egypt. Okay, clearly, this is end-time prophecy. We know that Jesus Christ is going to return in the clouds, with the clouds. So this is telling us this is an end-time uh, vision. 
that Isaiah received. Behold, Yehovah rides upon a swift cloud. He's coming, he's, he's determined, he's coming with purpose, and shall come into Egypt. Huh, how about that? Egypt is called out for special attention from Yehovah. And the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence, and the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. This is end-time prophecy. So Egypt is, is an idolatrous nation, and it's in the Middle East. Uh, Egypt used to be, in fact, the center of Christianity. Alexandria, Egypt. The world came to Egypt to learn about Christ. And, and, and of course, there was the, the false church uh, and, and church fathers there. But the true church, brethren from the true church, were there as well, all over the Middle East, until the 7th century when Muhammad burst on the scene and the Arabs came and just slaughtered, plundered, raped, destroyed MENA, M-E-N-A, Middle East and North Africa. That's now called the 1040 window. You can't preach Christ. Well, I shouldn't say you can't because people are doing it. But in that dark window, the 1040 window of the Middle East and North Africa, you cannot preach Christ unless you're willing to die for it. And, and there are people out there preaching Christ and dying for it. But, but this used to be the heart of Christianity. Now it's full of idolatry. And all the idols that were there in the Middle East have been consolidated into one idol called Allah. So the 360 idols that were there in Arabia and the Middle East there, uh, Muhammad basically consolidated all of that different type of pagan worship into a religion today that we call Islam. So we saw earlier the tongue of the Egyptians is going to be destroyed, which is the Arabic tongue, and, and all the concepts that are uh, communicated in that tongue. But here the idols, Christ is coming specifically, and he's going to go into Egypt, and he's going to destroy the idolatry of Egypt. And so that the you know, sort of corollary to this, that we know that this is end-time prophecy, we simply have to look in the book of Revelation. And to see that this is end time, Christ is coming in the clouds. Here in the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 7, he says here, Behold, he comes with clouds. He comes with clouds. This is, this is the end time. Matthew tells us this as well. And every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, this, these are the Jews, and all kindreds of the earth, this includes Egypt, shall wail because of him. The return of Christ is not good news. If you are not of the tribe of Judah uh, or Israel, or say that the southern tribes or the northern tribes, if you're not part of Jacob, physical and spiritual Jacob, that is looking for the Lord, when he returns, it's bad news. It's calamitous news. So this is not a time of Christ coming to hug the world. All nations shall wail because of him. And he's going into Egypt, and Egypt is going to wail because of him. John says, even so, amen. Oh, well, this is the way it has to be. They, they chose this. Oh, well, when Christ returns, he's coming to shed blood. Even so, amen. Justice will finally be served. Amen. Back to Isaiah. So he's going to come into Egypt. And what does he say? And I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians. This is end time prophecy. So we're going to see Egypt erupt 
into civil war. Egyptians against Egyptians, and they shall fight every one against his brother, and every one against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. So something is going to happen in Egypt that is going to cause these people to burst into violence against each other. And, and basically what I best I can do right now is I see some sort of, uh, Egypt is primarily Sunni Islam, but perhaps the Shiites are going to make inroads into Egypt. And that is going to create this intense conflict between Sunni Egyptians and Shiite Egyptians. And, and that's going to be calamitous. That's going to be incredibly violent, intensely violent. That's about the best that I can make of this. But we do know for sure, according to scripture, there's going to be civil war within Egypt. And the spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof. So in the end time, the Egyptians are going to be very confident, very bold, but that's going to disappear. The spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof, and I will destroy the counsel thereof. God has a counsel, and God has declared his counsel from the beginning. He declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, that which is not yet done, saying, what? My counsel, my plans shall stand. No one can withstand. When God speaks, no one can withstand his plans. And yet the Egyptians have bought a narrative that is diametrically opposed to the counsel of Jehovah. Diametrically opposed. And they believe in this narrative. And they, they have this bold, arrogant spirit because of this narrative. And God says he's going to destroy it. it it's nonsense. And, and pity the men and the women and the children that buy into this nonsense. God is coming to destroy it. And they shall seek, and, and the counsel thereof, by the way, this nonsense, is to destroy Judah. The fundamental purpose of Islam is to destroy Judah and to destroy Christ. And God is coming to destroy this counsel. And they shall seek to the idols and to the charmers, and to them that have familiar spirits, and to the wizards. And again, all of this anciently has been consolidated into what we call Islam today. And in fact, if you study the history of Islam, when Muhammad was teaching his followers how to recite the Quran, because they, they didn't read it, they recited it, memorized it and recited it. When he was teaching them how to recite it, he, he taught them to do it in a way that was very musical and, and, and charming and, and, and was magical. It, it was to, to uh, put people in a trance. And that's how the Quran is read. So that people don't even understand what they're hearing, but it, it, it charms them. And it, it's like uh, when you see those um, people playing the, the pipe with the cobras and they charm the cobra. Uh, this, this is how, Islam, this is how uh, Muhammad taught his followers to recite Quran in a way that was charming and would, would uh, put people in a trance. And they would just feel like it's something magical that they're hearing. And all of these practices now have been consolidated into Islam. And God is coming to destroy it all. And the Egyptians will I give over into the hand of a cruel lord. So there's going to be some kind of conflict between them. And, and I've said it, you know, Shiite versus Sunni. It doesn't have to be that. It can be Sunni versus Sunni. Islam is a very, very destructive movement. You can, never be, you can never be Muslim enough. Never. 
it always demands more and it gets darker and darker and darker. People come in at the surface and it sounds like, oh, humanity's all one and we're all one and we all love each other. And, and, and as they get seduced into it, it gets darker and darker and darker and more and more is required and you can never give enough. It's in fact, it's very similar to Marxism. All these lefties running up and down social justice, they don't know what they're signing up for. And once they sign up for it, it gets darker and darker and darker, and you can never be woke enough. It always demands more. Very, very destructive movements. And in fact, Muhammad, if you read the Hadith, he had a prophecy about Islam in the end time. And his prophecy regarding Islam in the end time is that he said to his followers, in the end time, there will be 72 sects of Islam. Listen to this. Let's go back to this prophecy. And I will set Egyptians against the Egyptians, and they shall fight everyone against his brother and everyone against his neighbor, city against city and kingdom against kingdom. Islam will do this. This is an Islamic nation. And when we think of Islam, we think it's all one. Muhammad's prophecy for the end time regarding Islam is that there will be 72 sects of Islam. And only one of them will be right. The problem is, he didn't say which one would be right. And Islam is, is uh, uh, pathologically violent, and, and it's very enforcing. You have, to be, you have to be orthodox. And so there's going to be 72 sects, he says, but only one is right. And he didn't say the criteria, how to know. So all 72 are going to think that they're the right one. And they're going to set out to kill all the others and destroy all the others. So, so Islam is designed to self-destruct in the end time. And so it doesn't have to be Shiite against Sunni. It can be Sunni against Sunni. It's just as long as you're not in my sect and in the end time there's only going to be one right one, this is catastrophe for Muslims. So we come down here now. So in addition to civil war, God says, and the Egyptians will I give over into the hand of a cruel Lord. So, so first there's going to be this civil unrest and war and violence and intense conflict. Then, in addition to that, and maybe because of the weakness of that, they're going to be given into the hand of a cruel Lord. And this is something that, you know, a house divided cannot stand. And so here in the West, we are running headlong into division. We can't divide ourselves fast enough along racial lines, gender lines, age lines, uh, class lines, any kind of line. The Marxists have the cultural Marxists have successfully divided us, and a house divided cannot stand. And here we see now the Egyptians divided, and they will not be able to stand. And maybe being opportunistic, a cruel lord is now going to control them. This is clearly, when we put the prophecies together, this is clearly the king of the north. Egypt is south of Jerusalem, so Egypt is the king of the south. Assyria is north. So Assyria is the king of the north. And we know from prophecy, the king of the north is going to crush the king of the south. And so as a result of this opportunity now, the king of the north is going to be this cruel lord, the Antichrist, who is going to rule over Egypt. Egypt will succumb to the Antichrist. And a fierce king shall rule over them, says the Lord, Yehovah Zavuot, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. This is the prophecy for Egypt. This is Isaiah saw this thousands of years ago. This is the burden, the oracle 
regarding Egypt. And so in the end time, this is what we can expect. The same way we saw, um, what was that called? Arab Spring. Arab Spring just came out of nowhere. And all kinds of violence and, and uh, governments being toppled. Well, this is the prophecy for Egypt. Civil unrest is going to spring up out of nowhere. They're going to they're intensely destroy each other. And at that same time, the king of the north is going to crush them and rule over them and take them captive. And this is the, this is the counsel of the Lord. This is what's going to happen. Despite Egypt's confidence and boldness, it's going to be destroyed. Now, here in Daniel, we see this a counterpart to the prophecy. And at the time of the end, yeah, this is end-time prophecy. This is just around the corner. This is what we're looking for. At the time of the end, shall the king of the south, that's Egypt, push at him, that's Assyria. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. This, this uh, Assyrian king is going to move with intense force and violence. He shall enter into, he shall enter also into the glorious land. This is Jerusalem. This is Judah. So yes, he's going to crush Egypt, but he's the king of the north. He's going to be crushing, on the way to Egypt, he's going to be crushing Jerusalem. He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. So last time we were, last week we were looking at Assyria, not Assyria, but Syria. And Syria was given, uh, was punished, but not entirely. They were, they were likened to Jacob. They were going to suffer the way Jacob suffers. And Jacob does not suffer to the point of elimination, like Babylon. Babylon is going to be completely destroyed. Uh, so we saw that prophecy against Babylon. But the prophecy against Syria was that they would be crushed and punished like Jacob meaning God is not going to make an utter end of Syria. Now, when the, king, when the king of Assyria, not Syria, but Assyria, which is what we call Turkey today, but the Ottoman Empire, it's going to expand and it's going to incorporate Iraq and parts of Syria um, and maybe even part of Iran. We're not sure about that, but they, they want to regain the territory that they used to have. So they're going to be clearly north of Jerusalem, the king of the north. But as they come and they start trying to crush and expand their territory, Edom, Moab, and Ammon will escape from them, but not Egypt. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries. So he's, it's expansionist. This is when, when Matthew says, you know, Christ says in Matthew, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. This is a reconfiguration of the globe, reconfiguration of the superpowers, reconfiguration of, of boundaries. And so the Ottoman Empire is, is coming back to life and it's reclaiming land that it used to have. It used to be the most expansive empire in history. Well, the, this Erdogan, he's saying, this is our land. This is our territory. We, we want it back. And so he's going to, uh, it's expansionist. And so he's going to stretch forth his hand also upon the countries. And it's, Islam is expansionist, totalitarian expansionist. And so that's what they're about. And the land of Egypt shall not escape. So there's, there's countries that escape. The king of the south is not one of them. And this is exactly what Isaiah is saying. It's what Daniel saw. It's exactly what Isaiah is saying. So we cannot understand these prophecies if we don't understand geography. If we're just going to uh, dismiss geography and just you know, make things up, okay, well, then the king of the north can be anybody and the king of the south can be anybody. 
But if we understand that Jerusalem is the, the, the city that God has chosen, it's the city that God is going to dwell in, and then that's the center of the earth. And so from the center of the earth, we look north to find the king of the north, and we look south to find the king of the south. We, we don't just call, you know, because these people are very violent way out in Western Europe, let's call them the king of the north. This, this does not make geographic sense. So we have to, we have to understand that the Bible is a, a book about the Middle East. It's a book about Israel and the land in the Middle East. The covenant includes people, but it's not just a, a covenant with people. It concerns land, specific geography. And so we've got to be rooted in the land and, and rooted specifically in Jerusalem. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. So the king of the south falls to the king of the north. He shall have all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. So all of this land in North Africa comes under the control of the king of Assyria. Back to Isaiah uh, chapter 19, verse 5. And the waters shall fail from the sea, and the river shall be wasted and dried up. Again, this is the curse of Egypt. This is, uh, really we could say, this is economic collapse. That the Egypt depends on the Nile River. The economy depends on the flowing. The, the, all the agriculture depends. The irrigation, historically, that's why Egypt was such a powerful uh, nation historical, historically, because of the Nile River. But in this curse of Egypt, the river dries up. And the sea dries up, the Mediterranean Sea. And they shall turn the rivers far away, and the brooks of defense shall be emptied and dried up. The reeds and the flag shall wither. And I don't know here in verse 6, maybe this is a, a military strategy where they're somehow able to, to block the river flowing and dry it up somehow, or if it's just the curse of God. But something's going to happen to the waters in Egypt, and the economy is going to collapse. The paper reads by the brooks, by the mouth of the brooks, and everything sown by the brooks shall wither, be driven away, and be no more. So, you know, what's old is new again. Egypt was cursed anciently. Egypt is cursed in the future as well, before Christ returns. The fishers also shall mourn. You can imagine all of the, um, uh, it's not just irrigation, but all of the fishing that takes place uh, based on the Nile. The fishers shall mourn. And all they that cast angle into the brooks shall lament. And they that spread nets upon the waters shall languish. This is prophecy. This is the word of God which cannot be broken. Let's see this anciently. Exodus, the first Exodus. We're going to have a second Exodus. But here, as God attacks the enemies of Judah. And the reason all these um, nations are being cursed is exactly that. They dared put their hand on the apple of God's eye, which is Judah. So because Egypt just did that, this is the burden of Egypt. You touch Judah, you're cursed. So anciently, same thing. Uh, Pharaoh would not let Israel go to worship their God. And verse 21 of chapter 7 in Exodus, and the fish that was in the river died. And so you can imagine the fishermen mourning. And the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, as it was anciently, 
God is going to curse the river again for Egypt. Back to Isaiah 19, verse 9. Moreover, they that work in fine flax and they that weave networks shall be confounded. Again, this is complete economic collapse for Egypt. And they shall be broken in the purposes thereof. All that make sluices and ponds for fish. Surely the princes of Zone are fools. The counsel of the wise counselors of Pharaoh is become brutish. So these are, Zone is a city of Egypt, and these are leaders. Uh, God says they're fools. And again, today, these are going to be Islamic leaders who are studying their Quran, studying Hadith, studying the Sirah, and based on what their prophet tells them, what's what, they're going to be having this council. And God says they're fools. And their counsel is brutish, nonsensical, vanity, ends up nowhere. But, but it, uh, it's all about destroying Judah, and this is why God is going to bring them down. How say you unto Pharaoh, I am the son of the wise, the son of ancient kings. So, hey, I'm descended from the prophet. I'm descended. We're, we have a long line to this prophet Muhammad. Yeah? God says it's nonsense. Verse 12. Where are they? Where are your wise men? Now that God is moving against Egypt, you were arrogant, you thought you had everything going for you, where's your wisdom now? And let them tell you now, and let them know what the Lord, Jehovah of hosts, has purposed upon Egypt. <laughs> you open your scriptures and we'll open ours. Okay, Give it your best shot. You want to build your world on false doctrine? No, knock yourself out. We have the scroll of Isaiah. We have the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. We have the scriptures, the word of God. doesn't matter what men, men do. They cannot withstand the word of God. And so where are they now? They were so arrogant. They felt so confident. They were destroying Judah. Everything was going so well. Well, where are they now? Where are your wise men? And let them tell you now. And let them know what the Lord of hosts has purposed upon Egypt. And this just is just a constant refrain you see as God works. His scriptures are there. They're being preached. People deny it. And he, he brings it up to their face to the point where they have to acknowledge there is no God like this God. And these people of Egypt, they, they, they're going to have to throw away their false doctrines. They're going to have to throw away and burn their false ideology false scriptures. It's, it's very similar to uh, Turkey after the First World War when uh, Ataturk was in command of Turkey. And he just said, Islam is nonsense. He outruled, he just outruled it. Let's stop the nonsense. We're backwards. This, this religion is killing us. We're, we're destroying ourselves. Clearly the, you know, the, the kafir, the kafir, the kafirun, the, the unbelievers, clearly they're far more advanced than us. Let's just stop the nonsense. And so he just made Islam illegal. No public demonstration of religion anymore. He made Turkey a secular nation and just said, Let, let's, let's get on with life. Well, something similar uh, but more extreme is going to happen in Egypt. Egypt is finally going to acknowledge we've inherited lies. Everything that Judah's God said would happen, that's what's happening. And everything that our scriptures said was going to happen, it's all nonsense. So this is what's going to happen to, to Egypt. 
the princes of Zon have become fools. That means there was a time when they weren't considered fools. That means there was a time when they were wearing their robes and their hats and their beards and their beads, and they seemed so wise and so in command. But now they've become idiots. They've become fools. The princes of Nof are deceived, so another city within Egypt. They also seduced Egypt. They have also seduced Egypt. Even they that are the stay of the tribes thereof. So this is, you know, uh, all this confidence that they had regarding themselves and regarding their place in the world based on their false ideology. It's all seduction. It's all nonsense. And now we see these leaders for who and what they are, deceivers. Yehovah has mingled a perverse spirit in the midst thereof. This is an evil ideology, and an evil spirit is mingled within it. And this is why you see them slaughtering each other instead of loving each other, and it's so, such a shame. You know, when you meet people from the Middle East as people, they're, they're so warm and loving and hospitable, and it's just wonderful to be around them. But once this ideology gets a hold of them, it's like installing a new software program on, a, on the hardware. Once this software gets installed, they become violent. The same people who are loving, hospitable, kind, who give you the shirt off their back, they'll, they'll now take the shirt off your back and slaughter you once this ideology gets in their head. So the Lord has mingled a perverse spirit in the midst thereof. And that perverse spirit, again, is going to drive them to slaughter Judah. Think Zechariah 14, verses 1 and 2. So this is all, it's like um, ancient Egypt. When, when Pharaoh just, his heart just kept hardening. God, God just gave him every opportunity to harden himself. Here Egypt will have every opportunity again to harden themselves. And they have caused Egypt to err in every work thereof. The, the, ideology, the ideology is just so bizarre and nonsensical and off the mark that everything they do that springs from this ideology, it's just all wrong. It's wrong from the foundation up. They have caused Egypt to err, these leaders, these religious leaders and advisors. They have caused Egypt to err in every work thereof, everything they've done. As a drunken man staggers in his vomit. Whoa, this is uh, very graphic. But this is what God thinks of Islam. We're talking about Egypt. Is another religion going to come into Islam now, between now and Christ, and, and, and get installed nationally across the board? Or are we dealing with Islam? And God says, this is, this is just complete error from the foundation. Everything about it is wrong. It's diametrically opposed to Scripture, the true Scripture. And Egypt now functions as a man a drunken man staggers in his vomit. That's what God thinks. Neither shall there be any work for Egypt, which the head or the tail, branch or rush may do. They're, they're just completely neutralized. In that day, again, this is end time prophecy. In that day shall Egypt be like unto women, and it shall be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of Jehovah Zavuot, the Lord of hosts, which he shakes over it. Again, this is, this is in that day. Leading up to that day, Egypt is going to be very, very powerful 
very glorious, very confident, very bold, very arrogant. Islam is a very pride, proud religion. People, people who are Muslims are very proud of themselves, and they are told they are superior. They're, they're the best of mankind, and they despise others, especially Jews. But in that day, coming up, this is how it ends. Egypt shall, I shouldn't say this out, this is how it, it's culminating, it's leading up to the end. In that day shall Egypt be like unto women. They'll be terrified. Uh, you know, let's, let's face facts. You know, maybe, maybe if we read this in the West, they'll say, well, what do you mean like women? Women are strong. Women are just as good as men. Okay, God created the genders. He created male and female. And he did not create women to, to fight and destroy. He created men to be protectors. And, and you look at men in the West today, it is disgusting. <laughs> it's, it's sad. You, today, you see these men, there's, there's not a, a, a courageous bone in their body. So when, when it says, you know, in that day shall Egypt be like unto women, you see women, they're very powerful, very decisive, very strong. Well, you know, God designed men to be men and women to be men, women. Women are nurturers. Women need to be protected. And in the West, we're going to really regret the fact that we have not developed men of character. We have not developed warriors. To everything is toxic masculinity. Masculinity can never be, be benevolent. There can never be a strong king that's benevolent. We can never have benevolent fathers and husbands and sons. No, everything masculine is toxic. Unless uh, a, a female wants to be masculine, then that's okay. And when push comes to shove, we have nobody to defend. All the warriors are gone. But, you know, historically, human beings understood. There's a difference between men and women. And it's the men who go into battle to protect the women. But the women now are vulnerable. And so you think of, um, you know, when, when men come into a city and, and the women are there, they're vulnerable. But in that day shall Egypt be like unto women. And it shall be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of the Lord of hosts. They, they brought this on themselves. And, and again, this burden on Egypt has to do with Judah. All of these judgments of all of these nations has to do with their relationship with Judah. So Egypt chose to persecute Judah. According to the prophecy from Moses in Deuteronomy 30, it's gonna, God is going to save Judah and then destroy her enemies. So it's going to be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he shakes over it. And the land of Judah shall be a terror unto Egypt. This is what it's all about. So we have to understand that these judgments are not just random. All of the judgments have to do with the relationship of the neighboring nations to Judah. Today, what we call the land of Israel. That's the tribe of Judah or the southern tribes. So we have to watch the Middle East. And the judgments are not these random judgments, these nations, oh, um, you know, let's destroy France, let's destroy Germany, uh, let's destroy Australia, uh, you know, let's destroy Japan. It's not random like that. This work that God is doing is focused on the Middle East because it's focused on the land of Judah. That's what, that's what Matthew 24 is all about, the, the judgment on the land of Judah and Jerusalem. That's what Isaiah, excuse me, that's what Isaiah is all about. It's a vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem. 
So these judgments that we're reading of have to do with the relationship of these nations to Judah. So we have to, we have to get out a map. We have to locate Judah, the, the nation we call Israel today. We have to locate that nation on the map. And then we need to no- locate the nations around it. And then we need to find out what are the biblical names for these nations. And then we find all of them being judged here in Isaiah. In fact, all of the, the uh, end-time prophecies have to do with the nations that surround the land that we call Israel today. Think Zechariah 12. And the land of Judah shall be a terror unto Egypt. In fact, not just Egypt, but all the lands that come against Jerusalem. God says, I will make Jerusalem a cup of, Jerusalem, a cup of trembling. Anybody who touches Jerusalem, God has chosen Jerusalem. God chose Jerusalem. David took it from the Jebusites and, and called it the city of God. And God chose, has chosen to dwell in Jerusalem. So all these nations that come against Jerusalem, God says through Zechariah, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup of trembling, a cup of trembling to all these nations that touch it. And that includes Egypt. And the land of Judah shall be a terror unto Egypt. And everyone that makes mention thereof shall be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts. So when, when God says, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times that which is not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. He says that in the book of Isaiah. And he says it regarding Judah and Jerusalem. So he has a plan regarding Judah and Jerusalem. That's his counsel. And he declared it from the very beginning that, that he's going to redeem mankind, but he's going to do it in a very specific way, which nobody can, can change. Even the, the Jews themselves disagree with him. But even that is not going to stop it, that he's going to, the, the Jew first, but also the Gentile. He's going to save all of mankind through this tribe and, 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 and the sister tribes of Israel. So anybody then, he says here, uh, anyone that makes mention thereof shall be afraid in himself. So, so they're going to be terrified of Jerusalem and terrified of the Jews because of the counsel, the plan of Yehovah. God saves. That's what this is all about. Isaiah means God saves, which he has determined against it. So this is like you come against Judah, God has a plan for you. It's not good. And all the tribes of the earth shall mourn and wail when Christ returns. Here in Isaiah 46 and verse 9, Isaiah says, and we've studied this already, it's in the archive, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. Don't believe for a minute that there's any other God and you, it doesn't matter what they want to call him. There's only one God. It's the creator, the God of Judah, the God of Jacob. I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Now, what makes God unique? What is God's proof that there's none like him? Well, let's just read on. What, what's his proof? Declaring the end from the beginning. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Judah. He's talking to Israel and he's telling them, this is, this is why I'm your God. Don't fall for these other gods. There's no God like me. What makes me unique? Well, I declare the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And God's pleasure, his zeal, is to establish himself in Jerusalem. 
and his pleasure is to establish Judah and Israel as a peculiar people in the earth. And his pleasure is to bring down Egypt, to bring down Assyria, to bring down Babylon, and to bring down all these nations that try to destroy his people, that fall into the trap of the devil, that are seduced by the devil to try to, to, try to destroy his people. Nobody can withstand his counsel. He said through Moses, from the Torah, from the very beginning, that all of this is going to happen to you, Judah and Israel, to drive you to repentance. But once you truly repent, then I will come and I will save you from the four corners of the earth. And then all these curses that came upon you, I will put them on your enemies. And that's what's happening here. That's God's counsel. That's what he declared anciently. This is the declaration from the beginning. And this is, this is why he's encouraging uh, Israel. You can trust me. You study my word, and I'm going to do exactly what I've said. There's no God like me. In Zechariah, I said, you know, think of Zechariah 12. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about. All the people what? Round about Jerusalem. He's not going to make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to the whole world, right? If you're in Iceland, you know, if you're in Greenland, if you're in the Seychelles, Jerusalem is not going to be a cup of trembling for you. Jerusalem is going to be a cup of trembling to those in the Middle East that surround it and that think that they can destroy it and think from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free, meaning we have to eliminate and destroy all Jews. So it's all these people that are in the land that are trying to remove the Jews from the land and are desecrating the land and are setting up the abomination that makes desolate. This is when God is going to act. And it's these peoples, these nations that surround Jerusalem. This is who comes under condemnation. God says, behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. It's going to be terrifying unto all the people round about. We have to know our geography. When they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. In Matthew 24, God tells Judah and Jerusalem, when, uh, sorry, uh, Matthew 24, but also in Luke, I think it's Luke 12. When you see armies surrounding Jerusalem, run for your life. Run for your life. Get out of there. Because these people are under a, patholo a pathological, satanic, murderous spirit a perverse spirit, and they mean business. Satan's agenda is to destroy every Jew so that God cannot fulfill his promises. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it, not, not everybody, those that burden themselves with Jerusalem, those that make it their business to desecrate Jerusalem, these are Muslims. And all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Though all the people of the earth be gathered against it. So they're all going to come. If you stay where you are, you're fine. But they're going to come. We have to support the Palestinians. We have to get the Jews out of there. That's the agenda. That's, the, that's what's developing right now, is this intense anti-Semitism to the point where people are going to be funding and raising funds, and we've got to go. Uh, you know, This is jihad, calling all Muslims, come, come to the Middle East, fight for your brothers. Okay. It could be all the people of the earth gathered against Jerusalem. 
God says, my counsel will stand. Jerusalem will be established as Zion, the city of the Lord. And all peoples all over the world will come to it. And they'll find a Jew and say, oh, you're a Jew. Do you mind if we come with you to Zion so that we can learn from your God? That's God's counsel. And that's what's going to happen. Despite this show of force from all the nations and the foolish Western nations, you know, Canada and America specifically right now, totally in support of the Palestinians, this new administration in America, actually funding Hamas, funding Iran, funding terrorism, giving the wink and the nod that it's okay to go in and destroy Judah. They're coming under a curse. We should have nothing to do with this. Verse 18, in that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the language of Canaan, Canaan, and swear to the Lord of hosts. So what does this mean? So I don't know exactly what the five cities means. It could be specifically five cities. We, we have to start somewhere. So maybe the five major cities, again, like Ataturk, they're like, okay, this is nonsense. <laughs> this isn't working, you know? We, we're, we're killing each other. We, you know, we, we're all Muslims, but we're killing each other. Um, we've got the king of Assyria, which is also Muslim. He's coming in and slaughtering us. The Jews are, are, are powerful. They're, everything that's in their scripture seems to be coming to pass. This is complete nonsense. So let's just stop the nonsense. That's what Ataturk said. Stop the nonsense. This isn't working. And so this is now what happens. So maybe this is uh, just, hey, five cities meaning, you know, many cities. Maybe it's five specific, specific, very influential cities that eventually then the whole land turns over. But what do we see here? They'll speak the language of Canaan. Um, what is the language of Canaan? That's Hebrew. They're going to speak Hebrew. God says he's going to destroy the Arabic tongue. And they're going to realize, wow, we, we need to worship the true God. And so we need to learn Hebrew to do that. So Hebrew was developed uh, from the Canaanites, and uh, it was developed in the land of Canaan. So it's just a, a reference here that they will speak Hebrew. And in Hebrew, they will swear to Yehovah. So again, we think, oh, the name of God doesn't matter. Yes, it does matter. And, and these Egyptians, as they come to repentance... So God is doing all of this, and they're going to be driven to repentance. And they're actually going to call, in Hebrew, the name Yehovah. They're going to join the Jew, in Hebrew, in worship of Yehovah. They will swear to Yehovah Zavot. One shall be called the city of destruction. So one of these five cities, uh, there seems to be one that's singled out. Um, and there was something here that I was reading in one of the commentaries that this is the Helios, the city of the sun. Uh, so, so that's sort of this pagan sun worship that um, they're going to give up. They're going to acknowledge this is foolishness. And today now they've gone uh, to moon worship. So, so Allah is the moon god. And Islam with the crescent moon is all about worshiping the moon. But this is going to be acknowledged. that This is foolishness. In that day, again, we're dealing with end time uh, prophecy. In that day shall there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt. So these Muslims are going to drop the nonsense and they're going to become, they're going to convert and they're going to become full supporters of Judah and they're going to become full worshipers of Jehovah. This is the prophecy of the end time that the Muslims are going to drop the nonsense and they're going to worship you. This, praise God. 
praise God, this, this evil ideology that causes so much destruction, they're going to drop it. And they're going to worship Jehovah in the midst of the land of Egypt. And a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. Isn't this amazing? This is, this is Egypt. It's going to go through a rough time, but it's going to drop the false ideology, and it's going to adopt worship of Jehovah. And it shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they shall cry unto Jehovah because of the oppressors. So they realize these are Muslims doing this to us. Our own Muslim brothers are coming in and destroying, slaughtering, raping. It's just, it's a perverse spirit. And they're going to realize this can't be right. And they're going to see now Jehovah. And they're going to worship him. And, and they're going to acknowledge right in the land that the only way out of this oppression is to worship the God of Judah. And he shall send them a savior. So the king of Assyria, the Antichrist, he's going to have a cruel oppression over Egypt. And Egypt is going to cry out to Jehovah. And when the Savior comes to save Judah and Israel, the Savior is also the Messiah, is also going to save the South, the king of the South, the nation, the kingdom of the South, Egypt. And he shall send them a Savior and a great one. And the Messiah, in addition to delivering his people, is also going to deliver Egypt. He's going to deliver these Muslims who repent of Islam and embrace Jehovah. And the Lord shall be known to Egypt. This is Isaiah's prophecy, that, that Egypt will actually know Jehovah. They'll worship him in Hebrew. They will call him Jehovah. They will look to him as a Messiah, as a Savior for them. He will be anointed for them as well the anointed one. And the Lord shall be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day. Isn't this amazing? Let's read it. Let's read it again. And the Lord shall be known to Egypt, and the Muslims in Egypt, the, the, the radical, intense jihadis, are going to give up the nonsense. And they are going to know Jehovah in that day. And shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yes, they shall vow a vow unto the Lord and perform it. So there's this, this wholesale, very deep repentance and realization. The God of Judah is the true God. And the Lord shall smite Egypt. So that's how it starts. He shall smite Egypt. He shall smite and heal it. So this is God's operation. That, that Egypt is going to come under the scrutiny of God. In the same way that Assyria punished Judah, and cause Judah to repent. Assyria is the rod of God's anger, but he's going to use Assyria against Egypt. He's going to smite Egypt. First, there's going to be civil war. They're going to smite each other. Well, there's going to be 72 sects of Islam in the end time. Only one of them is right. We've got to slaughter each other. Slaughter the, the, I guess the one that, that survives in the end is the right one. And then the, the uh, king of uh, Assyria is going to say, well, whatever nonsense you guys are practicing in Egypt, all of it is wrong. We have the true version of Islam. We're expansionists. We're going to control the whole world. And they're going to come in to Egypt and slaughter the Egyptians. And the Egyptians are then going to cry out to God. They're going to realize Islam is not, what are we doing to each other? And they're going to cry out to Jehovah, the God of Judah. And they're going to see these prophecies. Maybe we will be preaching these prophecies to them. And they're going to realize this is, this is declared from the beginning. 
And then God is, after he smites Egypt, he's going to heal her. And they shall return even to the Lord. And that's interesting language. It's like they've known the Lord before. And they did. Egypt used to be the center of Christianity. And many of our spiritual ancestors, true Christians, were in Egypt prior to the Arabians, the, the Muslims coming in and just slaughtering everybody and forcefully turning it over to Islam. So the next generation gets born and they don't even think about Christianity anymore. But they're going to return to God. And they shall return even to Jehovah, meaning they didn't know him before. And he shall be entreated of them and shall heal them. This is Isaiah's prophecy. In that day, listen to this. In that day, there shall be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria. We need to know our geography. I know there's a, a belief among many Christians that Assyria is Germany. Well, in Isaiah 19, verse 23, why would there be a highway? This is a physical highway. Why and how would we run a highway from Egypt to Germany, which is not even north of Jerusalem? And we have to go uh, west to get to Germany. And then we're going to run a highway from Egypt to Germany? No, this, this is connected. Jerusalem is in the center. Assyria is in the north. Egypt is in the south. And there's going to be a highway from Egypt straight through Judah to Assyria so that there can be free passage and movement between Assyria, Jerusalem, and Egypt. So despite this intense conflict and God using Assyria as the rod of his anger and then destroying Assyria, using Assyria to destroy Egypt and then healing Egypt, using Assyria to destroy Judah and then healing Judah, and then finally uh, crushing Assyria. When all of this is said and done, all of it was the operation of the Lord, who says, my counsel shall stand. And so we've got to know our geography. And here he says, in that day, so this is the end time now, we're looking forward to this, there will be a highway out of Egypt. They're going to construct a highway out of Egypt to Assyria, the land we call Turkey, Iraq, uh, Syria today. And the Assyrian shall come into Egypt, but this time peacefully, respectfully. And the Egyptian into Assyria, lovingly, respectfully, with, with a sense of unity. This is, this, is the, this is the plan of God. And the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. All of the nonsense now, this is the complete purging of Islam. This adversarial ideology is now completely purged. And it's been replaced by true scripture, by truth. And now the Assyrian and the Egyptian realize the God of Judah is the true God. And they join together and they serve together Jehovah. This is the king of the north and the king of the south. Finally, instead of fighting over Jerusalem, they finally come to Jerusalem to worship with the Jews. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptians. This, we, we read this in Isaiah 11 uh, a couple of weeks ago. 
This, this is it. The tongue of the Egyptian sea it today is Arabic. And in, embedded in that language are all these false concepts around Allah, around Muhammad, around Islam. It's all embedded in this language. And God says he's going to purge it. He shall utterly destroy the tongue of the... He's going to completely remove these concepts. And they're going to learn Hebrew. And they're going to learn how to worship the true God. The Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in the seven streams and make men go over dry shod. And there shall be a highway. This is again Isaiah 11. He's very consistent. There shall be a highway for the remnant of his people. So he's going to use this highway as, as part of the second exodus to bring his people out of the land of Egypt, which shall be left from Assyria and Egypt, from Assyria, like it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. So this second exodus has more to do with Assyria. Assyria is the superpower in this region, in the Middle East. Uh, Assyria is the superpower. And as God released Israel from Egypt, now he's going to release Egypt from Assyria and release uh, uh, Judah from Assyria as well with this highway. And then the highway then, because the people are going to be released uh, over, over land with the highway, but then this highway also is going to be used in the end as a, as a vehicle uh, or a way for them to come to Jerusalem and worship the true God from Assyria and from Egypt. Back to Isaiah 19. In that day shall Israel, now he says Israel, so it's not just Judah. Now it's all the tribes of Israel, because when he comes, he's going to gather all the tribes from the four corners of the earth. So Israel is really on hold, and they're going to suffer great trouble. The covenant is with Judah, but when Christ returns, he's going to bring all Israel back together through the covenant that remains with Judah. In that day, this is the future, shall Israel be the third. So Egypt is going to repent. They're going to worship God, the true God. Assyria is going to repent, and they're going to worship the true God. And Isaiah says, you know what? In that day, Israel will be, will be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land. So Israel will be a blessing. That's, the, that's going back to Genesis 12. These are the children of Abraham, and they're going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. But here now, as much as there was this intense satanic pathological hatred for Israel and, and Judah, now Israel is a blessing in the middle of the land. This is what God intended. This is, this is the prophecy that was given to Moses in the beginning. and Now it's finally coming to pass. Why is that? Because God is a God of his word and his counsel shall stand. In Genesis here, Genesis 12, verse 3, I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. This is uh, speaking to Abraham and his descendants, his covenant descendants. So you chose to curse Judah. That's, a, that's the covenant descendant of Abraham. You're cursed. You, you bless Judah, you're blessed. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed and his counsel shall stand. This is his promise to Abraham. It is going to come to pass. Back to Isaiah 19. Whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying... Blessed be Egypt, my people. This is incredible. These Muslims are going to become God's people. Blessed be Egypt, my people. These are my people, God says. 
It's amazing. And Assyria, he's putting a blessing on Assyria now. The work of my hands. So God used these people as the rod of his anger in order to create this result. That was the reason why he singled out this, these peoples and worked with them in the way that he did in order to bring about this eventuality. Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. God is coming to inherit Israel. That, that's, again, going back to Torah. De Deuteronomy 4, verse 20. The Lord has taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance, as you are this day. So of all the nations of the earth, this people were brought out of Egypt in order to be the inheritance of the Lord. And now we see the same thing happening in the end time. Israel is his inheritance. But Egypt are his people, and Assyria is the work of his hands. And he's putting a blessing now over all of, all of this conflict and, and violence and destruction. It comes to an end. And the whole world acknowledges God is the God of Israel. And Jerusalem is the city of God. And now Assyria and Egypt are seen as the work of his hands. Here in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 8, when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, so all the nations get their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. This is God's counsel from the beginning. He will inherit Jacob. The, world, the, the, the worldly nations, they have their inheritance, but God is going to inherit Jacob, and he's going to dwell in Jerusalem. Uh, we'll just, maybe we'll stop here. No, I'll, we'll just, Isaiah 20 is really short. We'll just I'll read this quickly. In the year that Tartan came into Ashdod, when Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him and fought against Ashdod and took it, so this is a historical battle, at the same time spake, spoke the Lord by Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from off your loins, and put off your shoe from your foot. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. So, you know, you have people among us who want to tell us they're prophets and prophetesses. Somehow it's always glorious for them. They, because they're a prophet or a prophetess, they're somehow higher than the rest of us. But they're never embarrassed. They never have to do embarrassing things. Isaiah had to walk naked. So he had to take off his clothes and just walk around naked as a prophet of God, as a symbol of what was going to happen. And the Lord said, like as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot three years. He had to do this for three years. <laughs> Are you really a prophet? You're really a prophetess? Let's see you walk up and down naked for three years, that you've got some revelation from God to embarrass yourself. Somehow you're a prophet, you're a prophetess, and you're better than the rest of us. How does that always work out? The Lord said, like as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and a wonder upon Egypt and upon Ethiopia. So last week we, we read about Ethiopia. So, so this is a pro, uh, this uh, walking around naked was part of his prophecy against Egypt and Ethiopia. So shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians prisoners. So this is what we saw when, he, when the king of Assyria comes against the king of the south. He's going to lead them away naked. And embarrassed them. And this is part of what they realize. Like, what is this? You're supposed to be Muslim. We're Muslim. Why are you doing this? So shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians prisoners and the Ethiopians captives. 
young and old, naked and barefoot, even with their buttocks uncovered, to the shame of Egypt. And they shall be afraid and ashamed of the Ethiopian. Oh, sorry, they shall be afraid and ashamed of Ethiopia, their expectation, and of Egypt, their glory. So they, they thought, hey, we're Muslim, we're great, we're going to, no, they're going to be terrified. What's, what's happened here? And the inhabitant of this isle shall say in that day, Behold, such is our expectation, whether we flee for help to be delivered from the king, or where shall we flee uh, for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and how shall we escape? So we were hoping that Egypt was powerful uh, with Ethiopia, and that would have been our refuge against Assyria. But now look. So, so now what, where do we go? How, who's going to protect us now? And, and God says here in Isaiah 55, verse 5, Behold, you shall call a nation that you know not, and nations that knew not you shall run unto you because of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So when they're trying to figure out now, like, who, who's going to protect us? They're going to finally realize it's Judah's God. We need to run to Judah's God. That's who's going to protect us. Um, Joel, I was going to read from Joel 3. I think I'll stop here, though. But Joel also speaks of this same time and speaks specifically of Egypt. So all of the prophecies are very clear that it's the, our focus needs to be on the Middle East, specifically on Jerusalem. We need to know our geography. So we need to locate Ge uh, Jerusalem on a map, and then we need to locate the nations around Jerusalem. And we will notice that all of these nations are Islamic today. And all of them are called into question and called into judgment by God. And as we read through Isaiah, we're going to see all of them condemned. You touch Judah, God touches you. That's, that's the prophecy that Moses laid down. And this is the counsel of God. When God speaks, that's it. He does exactly what he says he's going to do. And uh, that is exactly how our great God operates. We can trust him. We can trust his word. If God said it, it's settled. We believe it. No matter what happens, and, and we're heading into a very intense time. We just saw, for example, Egypt is going to be glorious in the end time for a little while. And then God is going to bring it down. Assyria is going to be glorious for three and a half years. And then God is going to bring it down. Ultimately, God will reign in Zion. And God will be established in Jerusalem. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to accomplish this. So this is wonderful. We'll just continue working through the book of Isaiah. Uh, thank you so much for joining this evening. Uh, Jesus Christ is Lord. He means what he says. And, and we, we, we hang on his promises. God bless you, brethren.